True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast, the original Gothic Veritas. Welcome to True Crime 49. We're finally excited to be back. A lot of things have happened. One of the things we've been working on, we've published a book, Joe Millionaire, of course, a true crime story, takes place in Anchorage, Alaska. Essentially, it's season two of the podcast. If you wanted to you know, preview it or go and listen to it, the book is for sale, of course, on Amazon. I think it's a, it's a wonderful story. We've put a lot of work into it. We were diligent in the research. And um, it's something that you, that you know when you read it, it's going to be ex- very exciting. And you know that every single bit of it is true. Joe Millionaire by TC49. I would either, if I was you, I would listen to it and maybe even buy the book if you, I enjoy reading it just as much, as I, maybe even more than I enjoy hearing it. The last podcast we did was in December of 2021, and it was of Anesha Duffy Murnane, who was abducted in October of 2019 as she was walking to an appointment in Homer, Alaska. And, you know, they searched for her for several years and um, they pronounced her, a jury pronounced her dead in June of 2021. There hasn't been any activity on the case until May 2022, just this last Monday, um, authorities arrested Kirby Calderwood, 32 of Ogden, Utah, charging him in Alaska with first and second degree murder, kidnapping and tampering with evidence. Kirby Calderwood is has been arrested as a, you know, the main suspect in Duffy Murnane's disappearance. Special Investigator Matt Haney, we mentioned in the previous podcast, identified Calderwood as a potential suspect in May of 2021, um, a month before they pronounced her deceased. Calderwood was employed by South Peninsula Behavioral Services, And that's the mental health agency that runs the apartment that Duffy was residing at at the time of her disappearance. And apparently he had, you know, over a span of time, he fulfilled a couple of different jobs for um, South Peninsula Behavioral Services and came in contact with Duffy enough to even have shared meals with her in the past. In the podcast, we've discussed what happened with, with Duffy and we also... We also brainstormed trying to, you know, think what, what are the possibilities of what could have happened to her. April of this year, a tip came in. And the law enforcement, when they were processing it, they immediately knew that there were things that the tipster called in about and had reference to that was not public knowledge. It was no one should have known about those things unless they were either there or the person that was there told them about it specifically. And when they compared those, what the tipster said with what they know, the tipster had mentioned in particular a watch that Kirby Calderwood, the suspect who was arrested, he kept. And also he had a missing poster of Duffy Murnane, an actual missing poster with her watch. And he told her about it. He conf- when he, conf- he at some point he confessed to her, which also maybe sounds like it's a way of manipulating her not to leave or to have absolute control over her for her to know if he wanted her to know either he was gu- felt guilty, which it doesn't seem that way by his actions, or he was manipulating her to frighten her to where she would be ter- basically terrified, which to never leave. 
because it lines up that several previous partners that they've spoke to so far as they as they have looked at the web of people around him and essentially his past intimate partners ex-wife even as they went in the investigated these previous partners they spoke of his sexual fantasies and of them personally being sexually assaulted by their husband or their boyfriend at the time that Kirby would actually sexually assault them as an intimate partner they said that he fantasized about torturing and killing someone one of the women mentioned Calderwood's herding of animals since he was a child The parents of his then-girlfriend at the time when he was in Homer and Duffy went missing, her parents were out of town from October all the way through to December. As we mentioned in the episode, Duffy's father had given a a large uh, talk that he had given to uh, roughly 70-some people from the community. And the next morning, they were going to Mexico. And so... You see how that's kind of a normal thing in a seasonal town like Homer. Kirby Calderwood, the one in in custody, his girlfriend at the time, her parents were out of town, and he knew that they were out of town. He had went to their house and constructed a place to torture someone in their crawl space, is what the report says. He pulled up and he offered Duffy a ride to her appointment. He was driving a blue Subaru Forester. He claimed that he needed a phone charger and making a short detour up the side of the mountain, essentially, still in town, raising an elevation going up away from the heart of downtown Homer to the house to, with the ruse of, I need to retrieve this, my phone charger. In the episode, we discussed it when she, from the time she left her apartment, which... Kirby worked for, for several years, that company, and even shared meals with her. Such an eerie thing. As they drive up the hill, there was, would have been plenty enough time. She had 45 minutes to walk from her house, apartment, to her appointment. 45 minutes is a long time to walk across Homer, very short distance to, to where she was going. So going up the hill, he takes her to a strange house, but it's okay because... I need to pick up the phone charger. Apparently, he, he, had the, he had enough closeness with her that she actually went into the house by his own admission, went into the house with him. And he had the crawl space door opened. And basically, once they got near the crawl space door, he attacked her. And up until that moment, maybe she felt weird. Maybe she was scared. But up until that moment, he makes it sound as if she had no idea what was going on and he attacks her and drags her into the crawl space more graphic things have occurred to her that we have chose not to speak of yes and i'm sure you can look them up online but a lot of it actually we don't know for sure though until i guess until it becomes public the specifics of how she died and what he did to her we wouldn't examine at this point. Yes. When you're, when you're talking about these things with, with actually true crime, you're actually talking about crimes that are happening, it's very easy to get excited when things break loose in, into a case. And when the news comes out that they've, they've arrested someone and you get all the answers to all the questions that you pondered over and over again, hoping that you could decode it maybe and 
make a call and say, I figured it out who it is. Once those answers are there, it's so easy to get excited about the good news. In, and in this case in particular, even the good news isn't any good, isn't good news anyway. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, we, of course, we're analyzing things later, but as you said, now is a time to, now is a time to show respect to her and her family. When it comes time to hopefully, you would be hopefuling that they would, he would reveal the location of, of where she is, that they could, she could be retrieved for her, you know, for her family and for parents and for her. He said that he placed her into plastic bags and into a fish tote and then placed her in a dumpster that he could view it. And we'll go in, you know, at some point analyzing how long did he wait because the whole town was hot with police department and dogs even. We know who it is, but we can't examine all of the pieces yet. You know, they're coming to us one by one. Um, One of the things that we do know is that... um, Calderwood um, originally is from Utah. His brother was a charter fisherman who worked in Homer, and he had recently overdosed. Calderwood had come up for his brother's memorial service, and he ended up staying in Alaska for the next six years. He left Alaska in June of 2021, which was um, the same month that they declared Duffy and Murdane deceased by homicide. That was headed up by investigator, special investigator Matt Haney, who had already identified Kirby Calderwood as a potential suspect. And then with the tipster's information, that provided enough for them to get several search warrants for his house, his car, his DNA. When they searched his home, Duffy's watch was found there, and as well as the missing poster with her photo on it. This is just preliminary. We don't know... Um, maybe he had other people's trophies, or maybe this was a one-time thing. We, I do know that there were several items of interest at his home. Something that's very interesting in the, in the episode about Duffy, we speak about the helicopters, we speak about the dog teams, we speak about them making them applying the silver alert. Even though they did not have, they didn't know where she was, they still cons- they still had it classified as a homicide. All of those steps that you see the law enforcement and essentially the search and rescue people doing is amazing and outstanding. It's almost it's what you'd want to have happen every time. And so it follows suit that they when they would arrest him, they arrest him in the exact same manner that they arrested BTK. They arrest him in the same manner that they. Uh, arrested Robert Kuklinski, the Iceman. The protocol of watching them, having surveillance on them, knowing exactly how many other people, other collateral people are in the house and waiting for them to get into their vehicle and drive away and then swoop in on him as a regular traffic stop. And then quickly it escalates into a felony arrest. And that way they are not at the house, not near their guns, not near their hidden cache of of weapons, not near people who could be used as hostages or people, Ryan Andrews in Alaska with with Hans Roll, Ryan Andrews, we used to firearm on on the state trooper and on himself and his family members. And so they arrest him in his vehicle. When they 
begin to search into the vehicle. Once he is in custody and detained, they go into the vehicle and they find at his they find inside the vehicle with him two rifles. And he at the time he had a protective order on him that barred him from even having guns, much less in his possession. When they go to the house, they find besides the watch and on the you know near the poster they find a machete and several large knives a number of them they appear to have dried blood on them this person has dark sexual fantasies they fantasize about hurting people and in a sexual manner and a person who went through with something like this and you a lot of times when someone starts doing these things it's it's on the in the statistics, they usually start with very, very low-rung sex workers off the street with nowhere to go. To see someone who is apparently discriminating enough that they are going to choose a victim that is essentially a, a townsperson, a, a, good, a good person, a good girl. Number one, you see him do something like that, usually that's 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 not something that usually someone starts off with and you hear about these fantasies you hear about the ex-wife you hear about the new girlfriend on an interview on the radio station called Homer is home he speaks of going to Homer when his brother had passed away going to Homer for his memorial and what it appears is looking at all the other things about him he mentions identity in the 30 seconds that he's speaking he mentions identity and he mentions of going to the bars where he never was there with his brother we know that but he says that when he he basically kind of absorbed into this void of where his brother used people used to know his brother at the bar when he saw that his brother was gone and everyone is oh we feeling bad for him he just soaked into that void and created this whole other identity. I believe his words are, he cultured his identity there. This is the person who was just arrested. This is the person who had guns and rifles in their car while they're being arrested that they're not supposed to have because of a protection order. This is the person who has the bloody knives in his house. Well, I guess a little bit of who he is is Kirby Calderwood is one of seven children one of the second youngest. He was born January 14th, 1990 in Provo, Utah to LDS parents or Latter-day Saint parents who were also raised in Utah. He has a very strong family lineage in Utah and of Latter-day Saint. He participated in several sports and he earned his Eagle Scout. I believe all of his brothers are Eagle Scouts, including Connor who passed away. Um, And then he went on to join the army from September 2009 to November 2011, he was the unit supply specialist in the Army, and um, he spent one year in Iraq. Then in 2017, he joined the Army Reserves for nine months. There's not a lot of history with his other other things that pop up as far as work history and um, or anything uh, like a dedicated career, although that after 2017, after the Army Reserves, we do know that he went to Homer and was worked for the Behavioral Health Services. It is very interesting that it seems that Kirby Calderwood 
has a number of similarities to other Alaska serial killers or other people who have committed these type of crimes, sadistic sexual crimes in Alaska. Of course, Robert Hansen was the Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. It, it appears that his fantasies began while he was a Boy Scout, and he, he, he even spoke of it. It's interesting that he, ha- he is an Eagle Scout, all of his brothers are Eagle Scouts. A lot of times when you, all the family's Eagle Scouts, a lot of times the parents are involved. And much like Robert Hansen, he, that was a component. That was a huge component of his childhood. Mm-hmm. That he, would, he told his wife, he bragged to his wife, just the same that Kirby is. He bragged to his wife that he would cheat on everything he could. He didn't want to earn the badge. And she said he was so able, he could do it if he wanted to, anything he wanted. He flew a plane with no license. He loved watching them sign it off, knowing he cheated on in the entire book. Kirby has that similarity. All of his brothers are Eagle Scouts. Mm-hmm. A life inside of that type of lifestyle. He also is very similar to Israel Keys. Israel Keys' family among other you know religious gnome, you know names that you could put on them at one, at one stage they were definitely latter day saints the mm-hmm. mormon church and of course how many religions are out there everyone's going to be from some background it just so happens that the only similarity i'm making is is that Israel Keys from was from a large family that was latter day saints mm-hmm. Kirby Calderwood is from a large family that is latter day saints Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I mentioned the starting point is there's other similarities there. He goes to the military. Mm-hmm. Kirby says that he was a supply specialist. Israel Key says in the interviews by his own voice that the army is the only branch that will take a lot of the people that were people like that he saw in where he was at in infantry and where Kirby would be in supply. Having a role, a, uh, going into the army and not developing into a career, not de- yeah. developing into some type of something of substantial, it petering out and really having no real work record, not really having a, a history, like you said, and just popping up in the middle of Homer, surrounded by people who are doting on him, essentially, mm-hmm. and he gets a job at the Behavioral Health Center. His younger brother passed away in January of 2017, and it would be two years later that Duffy Murnane would go missing. We would be searching for her for the next three years until we are today. Kirby is in custody, and you know, hopefully we'll find out more about what's happened. And Some of the things from the previous episode I thought were very interesting as we were kind of looking at what we know now. One of the things that you kept focusing on was that the economy is seasonal, that the town goes quiet after, you know, Labor Day. And really, that is something that Calderwood took advantage of. In the episode when we're talking about the season, the season, Homer's a seasonal town, the feel of him recognizing that the, the the town is is the energy in the town is decreasing. So many eyes mm-hmm. that were there just a while ago. That while they're there, there's these web of 
of interactions that they have with people and uh, they drink with so-and-so and they laugh around the fire with so-and-so yeah. and then when they disappear that entire web of eyes and connective saying did you hear about such and such it disappears and as a certain percentage of this town is flashing here or gone to have him the way he must have viewed that house that he saw that there was an opportunity and he it's very interesting in the episode we talk about the seasonal about how it feels as these waves of people are coming in and out and how it feels and that the bad people would recognize that in a town like this that you could do it once at least mm-hmm. you could be invisible and it appears that's what's so eerie is that it appears as we were talking about that that's exactly what he did. You said, you had mentioned about maybe it would be somebody, yeah, that maybe it was somebody who was here. Maybe they saved up their money. Maybe they didn't, but they were going to indulge themselves. And it kind of sounds like if this is something that he had talked about before, and that he wanted to torture somebody and murder somebody, that this would be an indulgence. And so as an outsider, I, he probably felt that he was much more unseen than he was it was an opportunity and that's something you had mentioned before one of the things that you had mentioned that that strikes me every time is when you say you say if you you went there for your son's wedding and it's so eerie that it wasn't for her son's wedding it was for her son's memorial and in in the episode we say to go look in the photos that you could have went there. Mm-hmm. You could have photos in your album. And in the episode, we say that maybe you in the background is the abduction that the dogs and the dog handlers said happened. In reality, the right way to say it is you went there for your son's memorial. And in your photos, there is the murderer and it's your son. There are things that you brought up in particular about the victimology you ask people to consider if there's someone you know that they have maybe an obsession about a woman who kind of looks like that girl, Duffy Murnane, is the people around him. You mentioned Ted Bundy, his mom, which was actually his sister, influenced the concept in his mind of what he wanted or what he wanted to destroy. And all of the photos lined up look very much similar to his sister, who's actually his mom. He was raised by his grandma. When you look through the photos that they took, when you look through the photos that she took at her son's memorial, all of those things are in that photo. Kirby, Calderwood's mother and sisters, you know, you slap a pair of Helly Hansons on them, put their hair in braids. They do look strikingly like um, Duffy Murnane. Unfortunately, along with that, like you said, the good girl... I do think that if their family was in the church for a long time, they probably would be church folk and be kind. And just like Duffy, there's no way that she would have gotten in a car with somebody strange. She would have known them. That's something that we kind of kept focusing on. She knew who took her. In the video, or there's a radio clip that's on our Instagram, the one that you mentioned, you hear Kirby Calderwood's voice and it's very soft and um, almost feminine to have that person in a little blue Subaru Forester 
come up and offer you a ride, you know, and you know that they're a safe place because that's where you, the place that you live is a safe place and the place where you eat is a safe place. And he offers you a ride. That is so, um, it's so sad because she, she wasn't the type of person to just all be all willy nilly. She was very cautious and that somebody took advantage of that and all, you know, hit all of the right chords. His previous partners all said that he has been violent to them. Violent of things that they've seen. Him bragging or even, you know, torturing animals, killing animals in front of them or, or gloating over it. If he had, let's just say he did sexually assault his wife or his ex-wife and his girlfriend, they were family members that didn't report it for whatever reason. But if he had sexually assaulted somebody outside of his home, you know, he could have already done 10 to 15 years at different times and had a record. So this isn't his first time being violent to a woman. It's just that this is the first time he was violent to a woman outside of his family that we know of. And that there could be um, one of the, as soon as it was posted on Instagram, one of the first things that uh, comments that were made was that this seems awfully suspicious that for this to be his first time, you know, how many people do you know make a crawl space torture chamber if they've never done anything like that before. One thing that's interesting is that, as we said in the episode, her phone has never been discovered. And from the time that they know that she was walking and was in control of herself, that it, that her phone never called or pinged. Once she disappeared, her phone never called or pinged and never received any calls or pings. It's interesting that from the downtown area or down by the water where they were, to go up the hill, you know, up into the residential area mm-hmm. and never, never worrying that her phone is going to ping. Apparently savvy enough to know that the cellular network around Homer isn't a giant metropolitan area with enough cell towers to triangulate locations, really to have enough savvy and or at least be comfortable enough to have her with a live active cell phone in her pocket pinging the entire time and to drive her up there to that next location that if they could track her phones down to the square inch or even to the square foot he would have led them directly to where the crime scene actually was mm-hmm. the crimes being First-degree murder, second-degree murder, kidnapping, and tampering with evidence. Mm -hmm. So he apparently was savvy enough to know that even though they're going to know that her phone was in Homer, they're not going to be able to put any type of circumference of where it was. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be that it was there. The blanket Homer. And he knew that. And one of the things, too, is that he had said, I don't know, to the girlfriend or to whoever, that he hadn't planned on killing her and that he was just out looking for a victim. If that was the case, then why did he construct a crawl space? If it was happenstance, then why would he have a, an area to take somebody if he hadn't planned on killing them, keeping them, or whatever? The same thing with the cell phone. He did certain countermeasures, but eventually, when he did leave the house, he disposed of her phone in Beluga Lake. And we had talked about that, too. What was the... How would you... Um, disable a phone 
at one point that's what we were saying was that if the cell phone was in a state that it will not even receive a message it will not receive a ping then either one of two things have happened either someone has pulled out the battery or that it's the circuits are overcome by water eventually as the things come out hopefully as the things come out in the case against him what happened what has happened what have you done what is your progression been from being a kid who his parents and his partners recognized that he loved to hurt animals maybe he liked to set we don't know if he liked to set fires we don't know if he peed the bed every night we hopefully as he get, as we learn what type of person he is mm. it might give us insights into other killers and particularly Israel Keys because the element of building the torture chamber down in their basement, right? He's, he's doing it to them. Mm-hmm. He's creating a victim to them and he's, gonna, and he's setting it up so that instead of doing it in a tent in the middle of the words that you're going to just burn it when you're done, he's setting it up so that he can save for it later yeah. by when they're looking at him. And building it, a lot of times you see, especially with Israel Keys, you see that by building the torture chamber is maybe even a way of daring yourself, just getting close. You're not really going to do it. And that's exactly what he told the girl, his girlfriend. I wasn't really going to do it, but I, had, I did the thing and I built the box and I, I set it up. And I've, maybe he's done this before. He might have actually daring yourself closer to the edge. Yeah. But then he's actually driving around town. The empty house for two months probably being the driving factor of yeah, it's so perfect. Yeah. So I'm just going to daydream some more. Fantasies. They talk about fantasies becoming the obsession. And mm-hmm. he's, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to satiate myself by doing these things. And I don't have to actually do it. But I'm going to get, I'm going to dare myself right to the edge. And yeah. here comes a girl who looks like his sisters. It's a girl who's probably, like you said, he's familiar with her and knows how to strike those chords where she lets her guard down. Not lets her guard down enough to go on a date with him. Lets her guard down only enough to go up in and walk into that house with the guy that she used to eat with. Mm-hmm at the Behavior Health Center where she lives. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes out, hopefully, the, more, the nuances of who this person was, it will give us a Rosetta Stone type of a key for us to look at other people who are very similar to this and maybe see traits that that's why they built the thing because he, just like he built his little torture chamber. Mm-hmm. Somebody on Facebook changed his Facebook. Interesting that they chose for his the to replace his profile picture is a picture of him and it looks like his squad in the army and they have their squad leader tied up or duct taped to a telephone sized barrel up at an angle. And the entire squad's below them and you know, it looks like some sort of prank or something, but it's Kirby is front and center, and he kind of looks like, and, and you know, I try to be respectful and everything, but as a, an example, I, I feel like he looks a little bit like Gomer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket. A little devious, a little off-kilter, front and center with their squad leader duct tape up in the air. If I had done something that was going to make the news or, you know, something horrible, 
that involved killing and murdering somebody, I definitely would not put a picture of somebody tied up above me. I don't know what his family was thinking or how that's supposed to actually, how much better that picture is than whatever profile picture he had before. Um, But it's just interesting that they chose that one. I would like to say that our condolences to her family. Uh, like I said, this is a this is a story to where you we don't know what happened to her, and you know the if you look into it, everything you're seeing so far, you don't want to look into it, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, we do feel for her family. Um, this would be a good time to mention Miles Williams, Miles Colt Williams who went missing in Big Lake during 4th of July, 2021. He's still missing. We heard that they, the lake is saw and they have resumed searches for him in Big Lake. But again, if you have photos, look at the photos. If there's anything you've heard, call the, the police department there. And um, again, we want to just make sure with Duffy Murdane wasn't positive, but at least they found who did it, working towards recovering her body. The same thing with Miles Williams. We'd like to be able to make the similar headway for his family as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And again, if you have an opportunity, look up our new book, Joe Millionaire, available on Amazon by True Crime 49. True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast, the original Gothic Veritas. Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. You can find us online and on most social media platforms at TC49 Podcast. Support the show by sharing the podcast and rating.